0: Do you have a mom or motherly or parental figure who is deserving in your life who loves books? Give them the gift of tailored book recommendations for Mother's Day, which is coming soon. When you do, your mom or parent can tell TBR about their reading likes and dislikes and what they're looking for and sit back while their bibliologist handpicks recommendations just for them. TBR offers plans to receive hardcover books in the mail or recommendations by email, and gifts start at only $16, so there's a gift option for every budget. TBR subscribers are matched to bibliologists based on their requests. So if your parent loves thrillers, wants to read more romance, is looking for poetry by writers of color, or maybe wants to read some space opera, we've got someone who knows just what to recommend, I promise, so you don't have to guess. Our bibliologists can also check a Goodreads account to see if your mom or parent has one, saving you from gifting a book that's already been read. Plus, gifts can be scheduled, so you won't miss Mother's Day. Go to mytbr.co to give your mom or motherly figure or parent the gift of tailored book recommendations. That's mytbr.co.
1: Hello, oh, hello, and welcome back to When In Romance, where we like to talk about all of the things connected to the romance world. I am Jess. And I am Trisha, And this is episode 81. We're recording on Thursday, April 15th, luckily not tax day this year. <laughs> yeah, very luckily,
0: <laughs> for at least one of us on the podcast today. Ah, Ooh, yeah. Yeah. And we've got some stuff to talk about. We do. I think you used the term all of the things in the <laughs> intro, Jess, which is which is generally true. And I feel like especially this time. So Yeah, there's a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, our agenda is long. Our agenda is long. But a lot of it, the good news is a lot of it is very fun follow up. So So maybe we start there? Absolutely. Let's do that. All right. Well, first of all, a quick thanks to those who have rated and reviewed the podcast as we have discussed and a huge shout out to whoever mentioned my recommendation of Widow of Rose House because... I am not only very proud of it, but also delighted by anyone who finds that book. So, as a reminder, uh, if you have a minute, please do rate and review. We also, in our mention in our last episode of married couple romances, we got a bunch of follow up there too. So, thanks to those folks. The majority of these recs actually come from Phoenix. So, huge thanks to Phoenix. I'm going to give them to you fairly quickly because I. Don't know a ton about most of these books. I've only read a couple of them. And so if you have questions, Phoenix was kind enough to send along a summary of the ones that they recommended. So we've got Ever After Always by Chloe Leese, Love Her or Lose Her by Tessa Bailey, which was recommended by a couple of folks, including our wonderful sound editor Jen. Shame by Ainsley Booth, Happily Ever Ninja by Penny Reed. Slip of the Tongue by Jessica Hawkins, and Twice As Hard, an Erotic Romance by Amber Barden. We also got a few recommendations for uh, adventure romance follow-ups, including Happily Ever After by Penny Reed, which side note, I have read that and I will second that. That is a good call. I had not thought of it. For the Duke's Eyes Only by Lenora Bell. And I would toss out there Think of England by K.J. Charles, which is a little bit different from The Mummy in that it is, it takes place in kind of one spot. But if you're looking for kind of the historical plus romantic suspense, Think of England by K.J. Charles might be one to check out. So that was the follow-up I had, Jess. Anything that I missed or or that you're thinking about?
1: No, I think that's all that came in that we're going to talk about right now. Because you are excellent at corralling all of the follow-up.
0: Oh, people are excellent at sending all of the follow-up. So huge thanks to uh, to everyone who... Who sent different things in. I think we heard from Cindy as well. I want to say Dana was the person who recommended that episode. So please don't hesitate to reach out at WeddedRomance at bookriot.com if you have either questions or suggestions. Absolutely. All right, before we get into oh my gosh, we have a book club pick, Jess. But before we get into it, I think we should do an ad spot.
1: Yeah, let's let's do that. So uh, this episode of the podcast was sponsored by somewhere between bitter and sweet. By Laken Z. Kemp. Penelope Prado has always dreamed of opening her own pasteleria next to her father's restaurant, Nacho's Tacos. I want to go to a place called Nacho's Tacos. Same. <laughs> but her parents have different plans, leaving Penn to choose between disappointing them or following her own path. Xander Amaro has been searching for a home since he was a boy. For him, a job at Nacho's is an opportunity for just that, a chance at a normal life, to settle in at his apuelos, and to find the father who left him behind. Together, Penn and Xander must navigate first love and discovering where they belong in order to save the place they call home. So thank you again to Somewhere Between Bitter and Sweet by Laken Z. Kemp.
0: All right. As mentioned... Here's the thing that is very surprising. So we we do have a clear winner on the When in Romance Book Club pick, and we're going to get to it in a second. But Jess, I don't know that we have ever done a poll like this where we've gotten such broad enthusiasm.
1: Yeah. And, you know, it means that you all are very interested in very different things, and we like to know that. So thank you to all of those of you who responded, I know, to my Twitter poll that might have been lost among all of the other Twitter conversations. But there were, we got some we got some good responses t- to it. So thank you very much. Yeah. And we'll get
0: into the specifics of the responses in a second. But first, we will say that the uh, the pick, unsurprisingly, but also, like I said, it was very close, is Vivid by Beverly Jenkins. Did, did, did. Indeed, I know, I was like, should we do a drum roll? And then I thought, oh no, Jen won't be having that sound <laughs> it. She'll she'll be editing it out. So no drum roll. But Jess's <laughs> Jess's joyous noises, I think, are what we need. <laughs> but because people were so excited, what we decided was that we will we'll start with vivid. So we'll do our discussion of it on May 13th. It must be when we're recording. So the actually so send us any questions or thoughts that you have by May 13th. And then we will actually, the the episode will come out May 17th. Mm -hmm. So we'll do that. But then we, because people are so excited about these three other books, we're just going to do a quarterly book club for the rest of the year. Yep. Which is exciting. It is very exciting. Just in case anyone happened to take it, I got, I don't know, 70 or 80 responses. I did a a Twitter or an Instagram poll, less of what the titles were and more of what people were interested in. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to share these just because I feel like they were kind of interesting. So I didn't know if people would know enough about the books to be able to choose. So I gave them different categories, right? So UK versus US, historical versus, you know, uh, contemporary. I felt like the responses, like I said, I got like 70 or 80 on most of these questions. I asked people teacher versus doctor. Teacher won out 66 to 34%. Hmm. UK came out over the US over, it was uh, 62 to 38 so, Teacher versus Doctor, um, that was uh, Office Hours by Katrina Jackson, um, features teachers, and Vivid by Beverly Jenkins' uh, doctor book. UK over US, the only one of these that was a UK book is Sweet Disorder by Rose Lerner. Mistaken Identity, which is again Vivid, uh, came out over Text Message Confusion, which is Wrong Number, Right Woman by Jay. Contemporary over Historical, so, contemporary is both Office Hours and Wrong Number, Right Woman. Historical is Sweet Disorder and Vivid, but Contemporary won out, again, sixty forty hmm. Ballot Box Intrigue, which is Sweet Disorder, over Faculty Senate Shenanigans, <laughs> uh, which is Office Hours by Katrina Jackson. So Ballot Box Intrigue won out fifty nine forty one. So huh. anyway, all of that to say, I'm going to do more polls like this because I found that very interesting.
1: That is fascinating. I love that.
0: Yeah. And thanks to everybody for weighing in.
1: I thought that was cool.
0: Anyway, we're excited. Um, We will probably on our next episode coming out in, well, two weeks, because that's how the show goes. (laughs) Uh, Maybe start with some of our conversation around Vivid or just some of the things that we're thinking about it, whether or not we read it at that point. And then full discussion again will be happening actually on May 13th. So send your questions or thoughts and then happening podcast wise on, I believe, the 17th of May. Mm -hmm. So we're excited. Yes, It's been
1: too long, Jess. It really has. I'm excited to dig deep into a book and talk about it with you. Same. Same. I
0: almost feel like. Get ready for a transition, buckle up. I almost feel like we are more often talking about romance awards than we are doing our book club,
1: Jess. It is definitely a thing that is <laughs> happening more commonly than expected. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it wasn't the best transition. I apologize. I didn't exactly set you up for success on that.
1: (laughs) Oh, I tried to respond. And yet, here we are. Here we are. So, if you have not yet seen, RWA announced the finalists for the 2021 First Annual Vivian Award. Inaugural, I guess, is the correct word for it. For a recap, the Vivians are the replacement, I guess is the best term for RWA's Rita Award, which ran for about 20 years. No, longer than that. 30? 40. I can take a quick look because a well-respected book
0: writer named Jessica Pride actually <laughs> did a, a whole post about the change from the the Ritas to the Vivian uh back Can you believe this? It was June 2nd of last year. Wow. Yeah. We will link to that in the show notes. But yes, Jess, it was per 2020,
1: Jess. It was uh, (laughs) almost 40 years of the Rita Award. Yeah. So the new board of RWA, which formed after all of the stuff that happened very late in 2019, which seems like 10 million years ago. Yeah, at least. But it was less than 18 months ago. No. The new board sought to reestablish RWA as, I don't want to say an anti-racist organization, because I don't think it can be that based on the current makeup of the organization, even after so much turnover and change last year. But they named the Vivian after (laughs) Vivian Stevens who is a slowly greater known pioneer in romance and RWA. Um, She is a black woman who was one of the founders of RWA. She was an editor and she brought in a lot of the earliest names that we know. And so they named the new award after her as sort of a look at the change that we're making <laughs> kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And yet, mm-hmm. if we look at the finalists list, which is mostly the same kind of categories that were in the readers, So they they changed the award, the name of the award and changed, I think, the judging rubric for it. But mm-hmm. authors still have to... Submit their book. They they waived the fee for the first book for any author that wanted to, but authors had to be, what's the right word? They had to believe enough in the change in the program to want to submit their book. And I think that might show a great deal how much some groups of authors did not based on the books that we have as finalists. And I will, I will straight up say, I think I might have read one of these books. No, maybe two. (laughs) Now that I look at it, um, I think I've read Engaging the Enemy and I've read the LeCat book. So I do not have any opinion on the books themselves here. But we can still see that these are just the readers with a new name slapped on them. If we're looking at what books have made it to this point?
0: So I would say I actually, and and I may be wrong about this. I absolutely may be wrong about this. I don't know that I would say it's just the readers, but with new books, because I think there are better intentions behind this. I get that. Totally. And I think I think you're right that what you can see more than anything in this list of books is who was not willing to come back to this well, right? Like mm-hmm. who you do not see here indicates probably a lot of who is just done with RWA,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know? Cause I, I completely understand that. Like, and I agree with you that uh, no matter what the intentions are, I don't think you can necessarily call it an anti-racist organization or board. I think people are done. I think that RWA was done such a disservice by the poor leadership and poor management for so long that I don't know who you could put on this board of directors. I don't know who you could put behind this award that would be effective at this point. You know, I think people have walked away. Mm -hmm. And it is, I mean, as far as I can tell, it is at least a somewhat more diverse board than we have seen in the Mm -hmm. past. And also- you can't really fault anybody who is so frustrated and burned by what has happened that they don't want to be a part of it.
1: Absolutely. And I I do want to like I'm not saying that everything on this list is trash. <laughs> like if you Oh no, absolutely. If, yeah. Like I I'm just I look at this the list of finalists and know that there are books that were talked about over the past year. I also Mm -hmm. know that there are a lot of books that I have never seen before. And part of that is because romance is vast, humongous, and no one can delve into the depths of it. But it also indicates that based on what becomes a finalist, there are places where some names we would expect don't appear. So that's all I'm saying About I'm uh, just for anyone who's like, well, fine, (laughs) but Mm -hmm. (laughs) I just wanted to throw that out there in case anybody thinks I'm just like trashing the whole thing. I am not. No,
0: I think it's just it's like honestly to me, just it's just it's like kind of a bummer, right? Like it's kind of a a sad thing that so many of the authors that we like and respect and think are incredibly talented are just not going to engage anymore with this organization or this award because there are also authors that we really like and respect who do who are part of this list right I mean mm-hmm. you mentioned Laquette uh, Tracy Lisse, Reese Ryan like those are all people that we've talked about on the podcast and it just is kind of a bummer that like this is where this award and this organization is right now and that I, om- I almost kind of feel like this is demonstration that RWA is maybe cannot come back
1: yeah, because there's, there's not just the, f- the fact that the organization itself it is working to make changes with this award and with the DEI training that all of the judges had to take. But there are some things that haven't changed. And there are some yeah. authors and publishers who have not acknowledged that effort for change. And I am like, this is a conversation that is pretty insular if you are part of romance Twitter. Um, But there is one book in one of the categories that opens with the male main character contributing to genocide. And we're supposed to root for this character. So it's, (laughs) it's like, how did this book get this far? Mm hmm it's a big no-go. What efforts are made in the judging to make sure books don't get this far? Yeah. I know some people who talked about the judging process were like, there was no checkbox for this book is egregious and offensive. (laughs) It's just about content and context. So there are steps to be taken. And part of it is the fact that you take what's given to you you're not offering your own experience with books as a judge you get your you get your group of books to read that's based on being parceled out from things that were contributed to the pie basically
0: yeah and that's the thing like no judge should have to read that and so then you lose judges who are not willing to read about main characters who are a part of genocide like it's just I think part of it for me too and, and we were talking about this a little bit before we started recording is is there even still a place for this like what what is if you are one of these authors I'm not even going to name you because I don't you know that's not fair but if you're one of these authors and you win this award what does that do for you and it may well do so I, I don't this is an honest question I don't know
1: As a person who works in a library who knows that there are libraries in the United States that only buy professionally reviewed and award-winning books because they have limited budgets, Mm -hmm. maybe that's something. Mm -hmm. I don't know because my particular library is customer-driven. People ask Mm -hmm. for books. If we can get it, we get it. But for places that are still like this award will drive people to buy my book. Like, that's that's good, because good publicity yeah. is important. But other than that, like, because there's this whole, like, universe of readers that we don't communicate with, I don't know if they care.
0: Yeah, and they might, right? I mean, like, this may mean something to them, for better and or worse. It, I mean, I remember when I was first getting into romance, and I didn't know anything about it. I went to the Rita's because I didn't know Mm -hmm. what to find or where. So if you are one of those people that has been drawn in by some of the really incredible and well-deserved success of some of these, you know, authors and bestsellers over the course of, of recent years, you know, Helen Wong, Jasmine Guillory, Alexis Hall, I think we were talking about a little bit, Red, White and Royal Blue, Casey McQuiston, you know, like some of these folks who have brought new people into the genre, if they don't know where to go next, and they're not listening to wedding in Romance, for some reason, <laughs> they may well be going to these lists. And so I think that's a I think that's an interesting point. But we were also talking too about the fact that there's a, a pretty big discrepancy in who you see winning awards on the list that people do have to submit their own entries versus awards that they don't like the um, I think you mentioned the swoonies. Mm-hmm. And the ripped bodice awards, which, you know, we've had some pretty frank conversations in recent episodes about the diversity report from the Ripped Bodice, but they, we've also seen a lot more inclusion, at least of mainstream, traditionally published authors when it comes to the awards that they do. And boy, they have just such, I'm, I'm speaking with one of them, they have such an incredible panel of judges and knowledgeable panel of judges doing those awards, as I have alluded to, just, just did that um, last year or the year before, I don't remember. The year before, yeah. The the year
1: before. The first ones I did, and then wanted to read other things. Yeah,
0: fair enough. But I mean, it is, you look at that list of of judges, and you think like, oh, yeah, these are the people. Mm -hmm. So credit where it's due, they have done an exceptional job of that. And people don't submit their own books, which means that you probably do miss some people, right? You miss some of those under the radar books, you miss some of those independently published authors. But... At the end of the day, if I was traveling back in time eight or nine years to just starting out in romance, Trisha, I would want her to read the Swooney winners or the Rick Bodice winners or, you know, some of our other kind of more independently run winners, then I would want her to read the Rita's that she was seeking out. So I think it's an interesting conversation. I think we're in an interesting time for that conversation as well. I think things mm-hmm. seem to be shifting more quickly.
1: And, you know, like the docket that we saw in the Swoonies, and I'm thinking of that just because there were so many. Like, the Rip Bodice, mm-hmm. the final was, like, 12. But the Swoonies was, like, the final... There were, like, 50 finalists because they were they did categories, a lot like the, mm-hmm. the Vivians. I almost called them the Ritas. <laughs> it makes me think of the RT Awards, which mm-hmm. weren't completely crowdsourced like the Swoonies are, but were not Author driven, they were reader driven. And I think that is a very big thing because even the Vivians are primarily author driven, even if these authors are readers. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, bloggers, read other influencers, librarians, booksellers are invited to judge The RWA awards, but RWA as an organization is romance writers. So this is, you know, for us, by us, basically, whereas the others are very much reader focused. So I don't know if that makes a huge difference as far as what we would see if RWA was just like any book published as a romance in the year 2020 versus books submitted for review because you know film awards are the same like the production company has to submit them for the category that they want or whatever um which i only recently learned maybe a few years ago <laughs> um, but
0: but no who 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 is judging matters for sure yeah and i will just say a quick shout out too to the reader chat awards which i think are also another that is yes kind of crowdsourced and more grassroots and Last thing I will say about this is that I so much miss the RT Awards. One of my favorite episodes we've ever done was about how bonkers the categories in that. Like, come on. (laughs) Come on, Vivians. Contemporary romance, short, boring. Who cares? (laughs) Historical romance, mid. No one cares. Oh, man. Theirs were so funny. It was like mid-length scientist main character who is also in love with a shifter or whatever. Like it wasn't quite that, but it was basically that they were the best. Ugh,
1: they were so good,
0: man. RIP the RT awards. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Anyway. All right. I think that conversation went on longer than either of us planned, but robust,
1: robust.
0: All right. Before we get into our our last segment, let me do one more ad spot Uh, while we all just sit and in memory of the RT awards. Um, All right. I'm actually super excited about this ad spot. I don't usually get to do one like this. So huge thanks to Emporia State University's School of Library and Information Management. The Masters of Library Science program at Emporia State University is an ALA accredited program that offers you the flexibility of online classes while also giving you a community of peers to build your professional network. Through a combination of instruction, students are able to form deep connections to the coursework, professors, other students, and practicing professionals in libraries. ESU offers a quick and affordable way to earn your MLS, with most students completing their degree in two years, even while working a full-time job. To learn more, visit the website at www.emporia.edu slash slim, S-L-I-M. It's an ALA accredited program since 1932. You can expand your professional network. There are small class sizes, max of 30 in each course. Again, you can complete that MLS in two years, even if you have a full-time job. There are affordable tuition rates and scholarships are available. Uh, And there are matching funds for diversity scholarship winners. So like I said, I'm very excited about this because I don't get to talk about libraries or MLS degrees very often Huge thanks to Emporia State University's School of Library and Information Management for sponsoring the show. And again, to learn more, the website is www.emporia.edu slash SLIM. So,
1: hooray for that. That's so cool. I wish I could, could have called my library school slim. Right? <laughs> There's just so much to love in that. I'm very excited about it.
0: But I'm also very excited about our last topic, Jess this one was yours.
1: This was mine. And we have previously had a nice discussion about a particular aspect of the romance novel. And, you know, sometimes it's good to just like sit down and dig into the specifics of a book. And there's a type of romance that isn't quite divisive, but people definitely have strong feelings about it. And it is the slow burn. We talked about a cute. And the next thing in the steps felt like slow burn was a good thing to talk about. Because some people aren't sure what actually makes a slow burn. Some people really hate slow burns. Some people live for slow burns. Some people call them things like crockpot romances. (laughs) Oh my god, is that what that...
0: Okay, I legit did not know what that meant and was reading reviews of a book.
1: Wait, okay,
0: we may have to talk about this another time because I don't want to derail us. What is a toaster oven romance?
1: I'm going to assume because I've seen it but haven't heard as much conversation as I have the crockpot that it is somewhere in the realm of insta-love. You pop it in, it comes out quick. Oh, interesting. Okay. But don't take my word on that. All right, we'll research
0: that. We'll come back to you next time, everybody. But in the meantime, (laughs) I had seen the term crockpot romance, and I had no idea that's what this was. Yes. But here's why I think that's the case, Jess. Up until we were having this discussion, I thought I was not, as we've discussed, and you know, a few episodes ago, we talked about the fact that I'm more plot-heavy focused usually than character-driven. And I feel like a slow burn can, at least I thought... Slow burn tended to be more character-driven. Mm-hmm. But as we were talking about it, I started to realize that maybe that's actually not the case.
1: And, you know, so a lot of, sometimes, a lot of times, I don't know if that's the case because, you know, there are so many books. There is a lot of character-driven slow burn romance. Like, you really got to dig into the people before they figure out themselves and figure out their relationships. But I have seen some pretty interesting stuff that was more plot driven and sometimes that it might be because like i have seen two very different types of slow burn and it might be part that confuses people when we're describing slow burn because i would say that slow burn is about the actual feeling/emotion of falling in love so huh When Will They Touch, It's Killing Me is kind of like the more commonly known slow burn romance. Like, you know, it's the all of the modern Pride and Prejudice stories where it's like if they're based on Pride and Prejudice, that actual like click doesn't happen until much later. But there's also the like quick to bed, slow to feeling slow burn where, Mm -hmm. you know, this was just so supposed to be physical, but now there are feelings. Kind of thing where the emotions are what is taking a long time to stew, as it were. <laughs> we're mm-hmm. going to keep using the crackpot.
0: Thing. Oh my gosh. <laughs> You're my hero. I want us to do a podcast together forever. I love it. Yeah. And that was, I appreciated you making that distinction because I was trying to think this through too and trying to figure out like, what what is a slope? Is it that they wait a very long time for the act of physical love or is it that they are. Not like you know, I mean, if we've got people who are in a convenient marriage, like what what is that? And I, for me, and this is a thing that I flagged for you too. I think for me, what is causing the slow burn actually mm. makes a difference in how I feel about it too. Like, is it internal factors? Like I recently, um, or like or external, right? Like things that actually make sense that are reasons that we probably should not be together. Versus, I don't know how I feel about this. Mm. Um, I was reading uh, recently, "If the Boot Fits" by Rebecca Weatherspoon. I love that book. It's it's wonderful, and I kind of felt like they're a little bit, despite the fact that by the time you start the book, they have already had sex. <laughs> it is the 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 sort of feelings and relationship part is slower to build because one of the main characters is kind of unsure about where she is professionally, what that means for her personally, what it means for that relationship, and so to me, that was kind of an interesting it didn't make it any less slow burn or less interesting to me that they had already had sex and that they were hoping to have it again. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was more that they couldn't build a relationship together
1: because she wasn't really sure what she wanted and, and how to go about it. Yeah. And, you know, part of it is, is the chemistry. Like there are some where the chemistry is immediate, but something is keeping them apart Like, I I was reading Yes and I Love You, which is a great book. Please don't judge it by the cover. And (laughs) maybe some of you like the cover. I don't know. I'm sorry to the cover.
0: (laughs) I think we now know how you feel about it, Jess.
1: Oh, God. But anyway, Yes and I Love You by Ronnie Lauren and that one is less able to categorize as a slow burn because things happen a little more quickly but you know the part of it that was a little slower to form was this whole like you know i can do sex but i suck at relationships so we shouldn't be in an emotional relationship mhm and like i've seen books where that is a uh, much more drawn out because you know people have their their hang ups about permanency and all of that kind of thing and you know themselves so we see that drawn out in a lot of slow burn stories and then there are the ones that are like I feel like this is more common in uh, hating to dating Mm -hmm. (laughs) or enemies Mm -hmm. to lovers or rivals to lovers whatever you want to call it where there might be some spark of chemistry but there might just be like a very slow build of Any kind of interest. And that slowly becomes the next level or the next level. And it might be why I am not as interested, not interested. What's the good word for it? I don't read a whole lot of friends to lovers romance because that, Mm -hmm. that build, that discovery period isn't there in the same way that it is with people starting the relationship as they meet or the book starting as people meet or um, discover something about themselves that start them on a relationship journey. Yeah. So that like very slow, steady steps to an interest, steps to a love, like a lot of Roan Parrish's books are like that. And maybe Mm -hmm. that's why I read so many of them. Mm -hmm. But then there's also the ones where people just fall into bed and then work their way up to like, this is the only person that I want to sleep with forever, or or Mm -hmm. not. Like, it's, Mm -hmm. there's so many interesting ways you can do a slow burn.
0: Well, and I think that last is one that's interesting to me, maybe particularly given the context that we talked about last week with those kind of marriage in trouble or already married romances and one of the things that we heard from the press recommending or requesting those recommendations was that they were not looking for marriage of convenience whereas i feel like marriage of convenience in this case for this mm-hmm. discussion is super interesting so kind of transitioning a little bit into recommendations one that i always think about is craving flight by tamsin parker because it is it's, first of all, it's relatively short. Um, it's only about 150 pages. Uh, it was written sort of for, I think, either a competition or a writing event, etc. But it's a, an Orthodox Jewish romance. It's between two people who are Orthodox Jewish. One of the main characters is a woman who is divorced. She's she's relatively new to the Orthodox Jewish community. Her first husband was not in that. And so she is essentially kind of part of a, not an arranged marriage exactly, but kind of a requested marriage. She's looking to get married. And the person in the community, the rabbi's wife, helps set her up with the neighborhood butcher. And the thing that's kind of interesting about this book is that she has a huge sort of kink interest. And I don't know that they ever call it BDSM. Mm -hmm. But she is kind of of that mind, that's what she needs to be sexually fulfilled. And so she finds that with her new husband before they are able to kind of develop feelings for each other and kind of that romance side of things that so they're married and the sex is very hot even in this kind of what you would not necessarily think of as orthodox jewish community being like all (laughs) about the hot sex but they're able it kind of i guess it kind of breaks the stereotypes in a way that i find really compelling and also it's a great example again of that sort of well we're married now But we aren't actually that attracted to each other. Another kind of, interestingly, also having a religious influence book that is a little bit the same that I'll just do a quick mention of is The Preacher's Promise by Piper Hughley, which is another marriage of convenience story. This one's historical. And the mayor of a, I believe it's a Georgia town, has to marry the woman who comes to be the teacher for a whole variety of reasons. And again, it's a, well, we have to get married, but we actually cannot stand each other. And mm-hmm. they build this relationship that continues on. Actually, it's a, I, I believe it's a trilogy of books. So anyway, I won't get too far into that one because I will let you go next. But yeah, that's both Craving Flight by Tamson Parker and The Preacher's Promise by Piper Hughley.
1: And the one that I read most recently that really got into my bones for the way that it's built and built, and built, was Twice Shy by Sarah Hogel. I did not read her debut novel. I was not interested, because I have a very, very strong aversion to pranks, especially in romance. Yeah. And her first novel was all about, actually, um an engaged couple who were sort of dissatisfied with each other and slowly building their relationship out of pranks. I don't know. Uh, but Twice Shy is about a young woman who has had kind of a rough life and she inherits her great aunt's home in the mountains and it was it is a late 19th century home it was not ever a plantation <laughs> just because uh-huh. I could disclaimer I I think that conversation happened in when the copy came out early and it was like no it's not that kind of house mm mm-hmm. mhm And finds out that her aunt has left her joint custody of the house, basically with the groundskeeper and basically her companion for the past several years and like platonic companion even though he is a young, handsome gentleman. Um, And they hate each other on sight. And part of it is because neither of them knew that they had joint custody until they met each other. And I know I'm I'm using joint custody when there is a better term for this, but I like joint custody of a house. (laughs) Ah, yes. (laughs) And they both have very different ways of going about life. It is very much a grumpy sunshine kind of story. He is grumpy. She is sunshine. And uh, they have different ideas of what the property can be and what it can do and what each of them individually um, should be doing to deal with their grief for the loss and just grow as people. And uh, as Trisha mentioned earlier, character driven, heavily character driven, like if you want something to happen in this book. You're going to have to wait a little bit. But if you want the romance to be like their relationship with each other to be the thing that's happening, you're going to really like this. And it, it gave me really strong feelings of how I felt when I read Love Lettering by Kate Claiborne, which Trisha mentioned is very character driven. Great, but character-driven. Great, but character-driven. Um, and how I felt reading accurate H Eve Brown, which was my first 2021 book, which was Aww. amazing, and still nothing has lived up to it this year, but I'm trying. Um, Act Your H Eve Brown also involves two people who meet very badly, can't stand each other, but have to be around each other for a long time. So those kind of slow burns where it's like they don't know each other at the start – And discover each other and themselves along the way is really, really big for me. Mm. If you couldn't tell from the past three years of...
0: (laughs) (laughs) Fair. Fair. And I will give you a couple more just sort of quick because we're running a little short on time. But I will mention that I, I really think for me one of the things that can make a slow burn work a little better is if it's a solo point of view, mm. right? Because I can always understand a little bit better why things, why these two people just cannot figure it out. <laughs> if I can only see what one of the people thinks and knows, because mm-hmm. otherwise, I'm like, oh, well, we didn't know his so and so had died. Like, I, I'm not going to mention any specific things. But <laughs> so I do think and I will say too, I think another thing that so, so it's the, the solo point of view, but also another thing that I think helps is if there's something else kind of going on. And the two last books that I will mention are like that. So in Well Met by Jen DeLuca, and again, it's a first person solo point of view. And I think it's, it could be third person, but either way, it's solo point of view. And they, she is, she is working on a Renaissance fair. So she ends Simon, who ends up being the other main character in this book is also working on, he's like running the Renaissance Fair. So like, first of all, we don't know what Simon's thinking. We don't know what he's been through. And also they're trying to run a Renaissance Fair. So it's fine (laughs) that they can't get this figured out right away. In another example, Signal Boost by Alyssa Cole, John and his loved ones have just survived the apocalypse. (laughs) And so as he is working with Mikhail to get to, I want to say, like a campus where they think they're going to be able to restart the world. Uh, Again, first person solo point of view, we don't know what Mikhail is going through. We don't know what he's thinking. We don't know what he's been through. And so we can only see what John is feeling about it. And also, they're dealing with the apocalypse. (laughs) So of course, they can't just be like, you know, jumping right into all their feelings so I think in both cases it's a it's a really good, satisfying example of why it makes sense that as the third person reader, you know, you're kind of like, oh yeah. Turns out not only did this terrible thing happen, slash they're running a renaissance fair, <laughs> but I don't know what this person's thinking or feeling. And that matters to me too. So anyway, that's well met by Jen DeLuca, uh, and also Signal Boost by Alyssa Cole.
1: Oh, yeah, there's there's definitely that. And sometimes it's just like you're watching people who have no clue what they're doing. Oh yes, Figure themselves out. and the the two that really really present that very well to me are actually the two that gave me the names of the two types: the quick to bed, slow to feelings, mm-hmm. and when will they touch it's killing me. When will <laughs> they touch? It's killing me. Is His Perfect Partner by Priscilla Oliveras. And yeah. I'm going to I'm going to kind of spoil this book by the time they kiss. It is it feels so good and you don't realize they haven't done it yet. 100% cosine. It's like so close to the end of the book and it's just like wow, that felt so good to me because they're both so ridiculous. I'm glad they figured themselves out. Yes. And they're both so ridiculous. I'm glad they figured themselves out is probably also the subtitle to Heated Rivalry by Rachel Reed, (laughs) um, which is the second book in a series, but definitely the crowd favorite. The two main characters are both closeted hockey players who have been sleeping with each other for years, like Mm -hmm. years. Every Mm -hmm. time they're in the same city, sometimes they travel to see each other like but it's it's very much about sex and somebody else that can share this experience that I have that on, almost no one else has. So they're professional hockey players who have sex with each other because they can. But on the ice, they are absolute enemies. <laughs> Would we say it's a heated rivalry, Jess? I think we could say it's a heated rivalry. <laughs> and honestly, but when we start You can already see that there are feelings there, but neither of them can figure themselves out. And it takes a while. So this is an element of the slow burn has already started and it's just going to keep going and going and going. But when you get to the end, it feels so good. So those are two that are really good to, to try your hand at if you're looking for an example of one of those key types.
0: Boy. I just, I can't get away from the crockpot metaphor and (laughs) what the payoff there is right there at the end. All right. Well, I think we probably have done what we can do here today, Mm -hmm. but please do let us know uh, if you are, which, I mean, if you have additional book club feelings, please let us know. Otherwise be ready. If you have more married couple romances or adventure romances, let us know that. If you have feelings on romance awards, let us know that. If you know what a toaster oven romance is. I'm pretty sure I saw that. Please send us a note at wheninromance at bookriot.com. You can also find me usually on Instagram at trisha Haley Brown. Uh, you're going to have better luck there than on Twitter.
1: And you can find me on Twitter at Jess's Reading and on Instagram at Jess underscore is underscore reading. Huge thanks as well to our audio editor, Jen Zink, who
0: not only contributed to our marriages in trouble list, but also indicated that we slash Jess introduced her to You Had Me at Ola. Ah, So that is delightful. We also did hear from someone who recently let us know that uh, we had introduced them to Beverly Jenkins and Alyssa Cole. My apologies, I don't have that name right in front of me. But we are always so delighted to hear from all of you.
1: Absolutely. So,
0: I don't know, Jess. I mean, I think... We got a lot of things we need to hear from people.
1: We do. So we look forward to seeing your names in our inbox or in outside or inside the DMs. We'll find out. (laughs) And in the meantime, if you are reading, happy reading. Happy reading, everybody.